Hey everyone, and welcome to Unison Christian Church, the podcast. We exist to change our community with the life-changing truth of Jesus, elevate a culture of love and holistic growth, and serve as a family built on hope. Our desire is that today's message helps you discover fresh new ways of connecting with God. Now, here is today's message. We are in the second week of a sermon series called The Others. Uh, If you were here last week or you tuned in uh, online, the others uh, just really pointing to the fact that we are in an increasingly polarizing world, right? That's a part of what this sermon series is about, to look at that, to not ignore that reality, but to look at it and jump in and face it head on. So last week we talked about culturally other How is it that, what's the biblical foundations for how we navigate folks who are culturally other? Today, we're talking about what's the biblical foundations for how we navigate theologically other. We'll talk about that in a minute, but we sat as a teaching team and tried to figure out, well, what do we mean by theology, right? I'll tell you the definition, but there's another sermon in this series where we focus on religiously other. And so for theologically other, we're really talking about other believers. The title, of the, the title of this sermon is Those Other Christians, <laughs> right? Basically, any Christian that ain't me, right? Like, those other Christians. And how is it that we serve together? How is it that we love together? But also, what is... What does scriptures talk about even how we navigate those others? Because there are. There's some differences in the way in which we navigate even our shared faith. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit today, which is, I like to tell you when we do that, because honestly, that's never my goal is for us to jump around, um, because then it feels like you're building a case for me. Like, that's honestly what it feels like. But the reason why we're jumping around is because we're talking about four unique stories in Scripture that point to four unique ways in which we navigate others who share the same faith but have some differences in practice. And so we'll be in uh, John, Acts, Galatians, and Titus, but it'll be on the screen. If you, um, you'll also be able to see the Scripture reference, so I don't assume that you'll remember all of those offhand. Jumping in, we got to also have a solid understanding or definition, rather, of what theology is. I like to say everyone has a theology. Many of you are like, no, I don't have a theology because we're sometimes used to hearing theology connected to seminary or theology connected to books or theology connected to sitting at the edge of the city and having deep theological conversations about how God created stuff out of nothing. And those are parts of theology. But theology, every single person on the planet has theology. Theology is the study of what creator has revealed, self-revealed and the patterns and relationships between God and humanity. That's it. Like, when we start to understand, believe things about that, when we study not God, here's the thing. When we see ology, that means the study of whatever the prefix is. So zoology is the study of animals. Well, theology, there's no way for us to study God. God sits above our methods of study. However, the patterns that he has revealed of himself those we can study. And the way in which humanity responds to God are things in w- that we can study as well. 
And so in that way, even people who are atheists have a theology, right? They believe there is no God, and then there is no response to that lack thereof. That's a way in which there's a study of a pattern of how God's revealed himself and the way in which humans respond. So that's that foundation of theology. Let's talk real quick about what a doctrine is, because some of you who have been around church for a while, you've heard the word doctrine. Uh, Doctrine is just a written down way of living out what our shared theology is. That's it, right? So there is a doctrine of the Reformed Church of America. Those individuals who align themselves with the Reformed Church of America have a similar enough theology, and they have written down ways to practice that theology. That's what a doctrine is. We are a part of the Wesleyan denomination. We have a shared enough theology. We've written down ways to practice that. Well, in the United States alone, we're not going to even talk about the whole globe, but in the United States alone, there are 200 plus recognized Christian denominations. 200 plus. For some of you, immediately, that brings discouragement. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. There's a reason to, for that to be discouraging, but there's a reason to also hold on. Just, just hold, hold it for a second. I was looking up how to make one of those word clouds and, like, put a picture, like, you know, how can I get all 200 plus? Y'all wouldn't be able to read all that. <laughs> the, the font would be too small. small. It would just look like ants. <laughs> Christianity, though, has always had different doctrines and theologies. Some of us think that that, that happened after, like, the reform, the Protestant Reformation, right? Like, that was not the first time there were different ways to practice Christianity. It was actually even in the New Testament, there were different ways of practicing Christianity. There was actually whole letters dedicated to, like, disputing, like, yo, that's not the way we do it. (laughs) That's not the way we practice Christianity. And if you're practicing like them, uh, I'm gonna need you to come back to what you first learned. We'll actually dive into some of that here in a minute. But I want us to have these things as foundations before we go any further in this sermon because we'll perhaps jump over some things if we don't. Everybody has a theology. Doesn't mean you have a degree, but everybody has an understanding of God in a way in which we respond to him. And the Bible is proof that there are all, from the beginning of Christianity, there were different ways to do it. Okay, even before Christianity got off the ground, we even see within the Jewish, uh, in the culture of the worship of Yahweh, there's already differences. Jesus has this conversation in John chapter 4 with a woman at a well. Some of you, if you know that story, just a real quick little wave offering, I know about the woman at the well. Cool, great. Jesus and his homies, they're walking around. They, get, they have to go through Samaria, right? If you read at the beginning of chapter 4, it says he has to go through Samaria. Samaria wasn't a place where Jews wanted to go through because they didn't like the Samaritans. 
Why didn't they like the Samaritans? Well, the Samaritans are this kind of mixed race of individuals. So the Samaritans were, so during that Assyrian takeover of the Jewish people, there were some Jews that hung out in Assyria, and they intermarried, and they started, uh, and they grew families, and that's actually where the Samaritans came from, was this mix of Jews and Assyrians, and those Jews were like, we went back home, and we're pure, we don't like y'all. But the reality is they served and worshiped the same God. Many people don't think about it that way because there is this rift, and you think that these Samaritans are like a completely different religion. Nope, they do have different practices. Jews worship in the temple. Samaritans worship on a mountain. But they have the same Torah, which means they have the same law, which in some ways means they share some theological DNA. But the Jews don't like them, and so when Jesus has to pass by, he sends the, the disciples on, say, I'm hungry, let's go get, go get some food. I'm going to hang out here by this well because I have a uh, Holy Spirit appointment. <laughs> he doesn't say that part, but that's what we soon see. He connects with this woman who is gathering water in the middle of the day. She is an outcast among her people. I've preached about that before, but that's not the detail we're talking about today. But they're there in the middle of the day. She draws his attention to the fact that, like, you're talking to a Samaritan woman as a Jew. This is socially taboo in case you didn't know that y'all don't talk to us and you don't talk to single women. <laughs> then he talks about all of those things, and then ultimately comes to find out Jesus is a prophet, and she says, my people know about prophets. We're anticipating a Messiah. Jesus says this when they, when they start debating, not debating, but when they talk about the fact that they worship in different ways. He says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when, we, when it will no longer matter whether you, sorry, when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. There's a lot of things happening right here. <laughs> There's a lot of things happening right here. But one of my favorite things that's happening in that moment is Jesus lives in the tension of knowing that there is cultural separation, there is practical separation in terms of the way in which they worship the same God. And Jesus does the work before even going to the cross to begin to restore something. He says the time is coming where it's not going to actually matter whether or not you worship the Father on a mountain or in a temple. What's going to really matter is whether you worship him in spirit and truth or not. And then another part that I love is that he elevates, or what we talked about last week, rehumanizes her. 
by letting this Samaritan outcast woman be the first person on the planet to know he's Messiah. That's the first time he's ever said that. Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Judas, all of them are in the city getting food. He could have told them last night. And he tells her, this outcast, second-class citizen, you're the Messiah, that I'm the Messiah. So a way in which we can navigate based upon how Jesus has navigated theological differences is to work to restore. To work to restore what has been separated. Intentionally also seeking to honor those who have been diminished. Practically for 2021 Christians, there's a lot of denominations, and many of them are predominantly black denominations that wouldn't exist if there wasn't a thing called racism here. It's okay for us to be real about that. What are you talking about? A-M-E Zion, African Methodist Episcopal Zion, was a part of the Methodist church. And they wouldn't let them come in after slavery was abolished. And so they went to go start their own. CME and all of the other predominantly black denominations are not the result of us just liking to get down differently. <laughs> They're the result of a breach that, while yes, it's different, I know the details are different, but a way in which we, as believers now live as crisis to see where there was a breach and restore fellowship because it doesn't matter whether or not you shout or you stand there <laughs> while you worship God. Are you doing it in spirit and truth? That's where the fellowship lies. Later on in Scripture, there was, this, uh, there was a dispute among the early uh, teachers. They were having this argument about whether or not new Gentile believers needed to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. So a quick recap so that we're all on the same page. Jesus came and left and he told them that this good news is not just for the Jews, it's but for everyone on the planet. Everybody will be a recipient of this good news and the salvation that comes along with this news that I have come. Well, Paul is the one who goes into most of the Gentile parts of that world to go and deliver this good news, and people are coming to Christ. The Holy Spirit is, is falling upon them. There are miraculous signs. When many people thought that was only going to happen with Jews, Paul was like, mm, that's happening with people who are, not, who are not Jews too. And then there were Jews who were like, well, sure, they can be saved if they want to be saved, but they got to be circumcised like everybody else as a Jew, and they got to follow the law of Moses. And Paul and some of his group of folks, they go to Jerusalem, and they have this council of Jerusalem. That's where we jump in at Acts chapter 15, verse 22. 
Then the apostles and elders, together with the whole church in Jerusalem, chose delegates, and they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report on this decision. They got together and made a decision about what they were going to do about this dispute. Then men chosen with two of the church leaders, Judas, also called Barsabbas, and Silas, this is the letter they took to them. This letter is from the apostles and elders, you brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them, exclamation point. So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the, same, for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning your questions. This is what they came to. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, from, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. That was the end of the letter. <laughs> Paxton's like, what? <laughs> Ultimately, what is the challenge ahead of them is the church is growing not just in number, but also in practice, in culture, in different ways of doing things. There's people eating different kinds of things now, people drinking weird stuff, and they're trying to figure out how is it that we can be all one people. They're used to some rules and regulations determining how they see themselves. Jews have always had the law, so if we don't have the law, then are we really one group of people anymore? That's really what the dispute is about. And Paul is like, mm, yes, I know that's what, was, that went, what went down before, but the Holy Spirit has come upon these people too, and we have to acknowledge that, and he isn't, and if the Holy Spirit isn't saying they got to be circumcised and they got to follow all these laws, then who are we? To put that upon them. That's when they come up with this letter. This is how, this is the only requirements that we're going to have of one another. These, these few things and everything else is honestly contextual. It's based upon the context of where you are. So when we have conflict with other believers to resolve it, this is something that I think that we don't often think about, especially now. We say, like, I see things differently, you see things differently. That's reason for us to no longer actually have any fellowship with one another. My favorite portion of Scripture that talks about the re resolution of theological differences, this council in Jerusalem, these are real-life things. That's like someone who is a liberal politician and a conservative politician who both believe with all of their heart that they're following Jesus with the way in which they vote, but they're voting in different ways and they have completely different ways of seeing that coming together and saying, yeah, we see that differently. 
But as opposed to sitting around debating everything, what are some ways in which our fellowship is solid? How is it that we can hold each other accountable to this shared faith? What feels good to the Holy Spirit and us together? Right? I love that. That strengthens that relationship after it has perhaps been restored. Couple, another story, Paul is writing in Galatian. And honestly, most of the beginning of Galatian is Paul defending himself. When you read Galatian, if you like really listen to the tone that Paul is writing, Galatia clearly has a problem with Paul, right? Like they're like, yeah, I don't know anymore if what you're saying is legit. <laughs> and Paul is writing to defend himself. And he tells a whole bunch of times of, the, of how in which he has been called to ministry, but also the ways in which he kind of gives his whole pedigree. But in chapter 2, he starts telling them a moment about when he and Peter got into a scuffle. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. I feel like I imagine like Paul, like I had to tell that man to his face, right? Like he got real hood for a second. <laughs> for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James, who was the brother of Jesus, came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw what they were not, that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all of the others, look, right, I said in front of all of the others, <laughs> Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish law and are living like a Gentile, why are, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? He checked them. Like, that's really what happened. Like, wait, you and I were at that council together. Like, that's basically like, I'm, of course, I'm playing this out because if I was in Paul's situation, I'm like, we were at that meeting together. I got, the meeting, I got the meeting notes in my email. I know what we came to, bro. <laughs> and, and ultimately, you have to know that this isn't just that Paul is, has this theological beef with Peter. Paul is called to minister to Gentiles. So it's not just that you are going against what we decided a few months ago, you're also going against the people I'm called to advocate for. So that's like, it's, you have now, you are here talking about my little brother, ultimately, right? And all kinds of issues of loyalty probably rise up in them. We can't make Scripture human, then we're not going to understand what it's saying. Paul gets in Peter's face in front of everybody because you ain't finna talk about my little brother like that and feel like you can get away with it. Later on in Scripture, Peter 
commends Paul's wisdom, we, we see that they don't have too much of a, <laughs> a falling out where they can't, Peter can't give Paul any props. But this is an important space because sometimes in where, where we have fellowship and there are folks who have theological difference, reprove is needed. Reprove, that's checking people. That is a Webster's Dictionary version of what it means to check somebody. It's to say, yo, we, you know better. You know that's not what we do. That's not what we do. And the last one, it's a last little kind of story or example is in Titus. I know I said we're jumping around a lot. But Paul is giving advice to Titus, who is a Gentile church leader. I love the fact that even in those first few stories where we're having this debate and all of this advocacy needed for Gentile believers, well, Titus is a Gentile church leader. So Titus benefited greatly from the fact that Paul was willing to check Peter. But as Paul is giving Titus advice in chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, he says this, Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and in fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. I'm pausing there because some of you all have seen it on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else you can have a social media argument about how in which we live out Christian faith and people out there, you ain't no Christian, like they're going back and forth about some regulation, some way in which we as American Christians have to figure out how to live out this life following Christ in a non-Christian reality. Paul says to Titus, getting on Facebook, getting your blood pressure up, arguing about something you know in 20 minutes will be forgotten about (laughs) is a waste of your time. He continues, if people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. Some of y'all thought I was just only going to be like, say, do nice things. (laughs) Like, work to restore. Correct them. Like, do it nicely. There is a moment in which there are some folks, we just got to release them. And that's okay. That's okay. Why is it okay? Because it's not the only time in, like, Scripture where that's a reality. That's just one. But here's something I want to make sure that I, I point to. This releasing of folks, letting them go, isn't just because y'all had an argument. Paul points to something very specific. Individuals who are intentionally working to divide the church. Let them go. Warn them. Tell them, yo, yo, that's not how we get down. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Our whole ability to function is based upon us doing this together. You're not going to be with it? Okay. Hey, everybody, that one right there, (laughs) he don't want to be together. She don't want to be together. 
Honestly, that's, that's what Paul is actually saying. There's only two times in two instances in Scripture where we see Paul encourage people to let those folks go. It's not when they've sinned. It's when they've sinned and refuse to surrender. It's like they are caught in a pattern and refuse to acknowledge it. It's like, okay, you've already had enough. You had a con- we've had conversations. We've tried to do this. All right, you clearly don't want it. And it's okay to let you go. It's okay. That's not the same as you sinned, we let you go because you, you, you nasty. <laughs> That's not the same. That's not actually how that works. We are encouraged to bring our sister or our brother back into the fold by helping them to understand this is the way in which we live out Scripture together and if they, like, oh, thank you for teaching me, my bad, we just keep it moving. The same is true in this situation. If there's somebody who is working to divide the church, you let them know, like, that is not a way that we as believers actually function. You are working against the church you say that you are a part of. And if they say, I'd never thought about it like that, I thought I was doing something that was right, my bad, we're good. If it's you don't know what you're talking about, and I'm going to continue ranting about this, (laughs) you let them go. Release them. I think we like the release one more than the other ones because that means I don't have to be vulnerable. I started off talking about this foundational theology, this this understanding of theology because many of us, we default to release when somebody is actively working to divide the church because we also don't want to put ourselves out there as the rule of theology. Like, who says that you're the authority that tells me that I'm wrong? And we, we don't actually even step into the conversation because we're afraid and because we don't, all, we don't know how to do conviction well. We feel like when I tell somebody that they're living opposite of what is Scripture, that I'm condemning them or I'm judging them. And Scripture gives us a space where we can lovingly correct one another. That's what it is to be in fellowship. And when that person doesn't want to lovingly be corrected, we ain't got to feel rejected. We just release them. And when we release them, we don't block them and unfollow them. We treat them just like their other neighbors that are not believers. We pray for them and invite them into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. <laughs> like, right? Regardless of where you are on the, on, your line of, on the line of faith, we all need to be changed by Jesus. Today, I needed to wake up and be changed. If a brother or sister needs to be released, 
We treat them just like any other person who is not walking with the Lord. There are four ways in which we get to see when there is a theological difference. We can work to restore, work to resolve, work to reprove, or I'm going to say it, work to release. Four R's. Nate saw it. That's like a, that's a preacher's dream, <laughs> right? To give, to like have all of them start with the same letter. Look, I worked hard to find reprove, y'all. I worked real hard to find it. I'm telling you. <laughs> I was like, check them. That starts with a C. No. <laughs> work to restore, work to resolve, work to reprove, or work to release. Ultimately, Ultimately, all of this work is about us being one. Even the release work is about us being one. That's truly what it is. One, though, it doesn't mean the same thing. I told you to hold on when I said that 200 plus denominations. I want you to see this picture because we oftentimes, you got, y'all got that picture back there? Yeah. Both of these are a pile of bricks, <laughs> but we don't call the house a pile of bricks because there's been intentional effort put into making it into something valuable, but they're both a pile of bricks. I think oftentimes when we think about those 200 plus denominations, we only see a pile of bricks, but I want us to also see that there are, there's valuable purpose that the Holy Spirit is doing in those different denominations. I've said before that if there was no other church but the Catholic Church, I'm telling you now, I likely would not have actually entered into the family of God. Just being real. It's not because there's anything wrong with the Catholic Church. It's just not my home. It's okay. There's a whole bunch of other denominations that are not my home too. And I'm telling you now, I would not have actually entered into a relationship with Christ if I couldn't jump while we were worshiping. <laughs> if no one told me that the Holy Spirit wants to speak with and to me, I don't know that I would have been able to hold on if every single time I have to talk to Jesus, I got to talk to somebody else. Just saying, I don't know if I would have been able to hold on. Why am I saying that? There is only one way to the Father, but there are several on-ramps to Jesus. Only one way to the Father. And we know that through Scripture. There's one way to the Father. That's through the Son. But if there weren't several on-ramps to Jesus, then the world wouldn't be predominantly Christian. And it's okay for us to say that out loud. All of these bricks have a unique purpose, drawing people to Christ, drawing people to Christ. Yes, I despise the ways in which 
our separation in denominations have given us arrogance. Because I believe that is the sin of that separation. It's not actually the fact that there's difference. It's pride that makes it a problem. Arrogance that makes it a problem. Believing that we have it all makes it a problem. Not seeing ourselves as a brick in the house is what makes it a problem. But if I see myself and I see my theology as a part of what makes the household, and I surrender my desire to be right, then I actually get to be in fellowship with Baptists. I get to be in fellowship with Lutherans. I get to be in fellowship with Reformed, Pentecostal Assemblies of God. I get to be in fellowship with Catholics and Eastern Orthodox. I get to be in fellowship with the Church of God and the Church of God in Christ because they're different. I get to be in fellowship with AME Zion and United Methodists. I get to be in fellowship with all of these people who perhaps we see a unique, different shading of God's character, but there's something that ties us together, and that's Christ. Think that when Peter and Paul left that meeting that they didn't have unique instructions for the people they were talking to? No. They did. There's some unique instructions for our denominations that I think shine a light on Christ in ways that the other ones don't. And it is our job, just like last week, it's our responsibility to sit still for a second, listen to the Spirit before I say, yeah, we're not going to do no sprinkle baptism. (laughs) It's immersion or nothing. You know that the people who actually have real debates about that, like, if they get sprinkled, are they really saved? I'm not diminishing the conversation, but if it ends in us arrogantly walking away, saying that we've got it and they're missing something, I think we should check ourselves. So here's some things I want us to reflect on. I said everybody has theology, and some of you have never heard that before. Some of you have only thought that people who go to Bible college have a theology. Nope, you have one. And I want to encourage you to put it into words. I want you to put into words what you understand about God and how you respond to that understanding. But I also want you to pray, study, and craft that in community. I don't want you to go off by yourself. I'm pretty, uh, after spending some time processing this and even praying about it, I'm kind of drawing, drawing this conclusion that a pattern of how we get caught in arrogance and schisms and breaking up and all of that stuff is that somebody goes off by themselves, has a word from the Lord by themselves, and comes back believing that God's not speaking to other people. 
it's okay to know that we've got conviction. Bring them into the community, and let's seek the Lord together about those convictions. Pray, study, and craft in community. And the last thing is have a restorative conversation with someone you know is a follower of Christ but has different theological practices. What's that mean? That person that you work with who you know is processing some different theologies, lives based on some different practices, have a conversation. I'm not saying y'all at your lunch break get to the same understanding about communion. I'm not saying that. I'm saying open a conversation. You may find that you are feeling alone as a believer at your office, but there are three other believers that receive communion differently than you, but would be willing to pray with you every single morning before y'all start your shift. It's okay for us to know we see it differently, but for us to seek together where we see it the same and love each other and hold each other to that. We talked about at Unison being a part of God's instrument of calling the church here in Grand Rapids to a space of unity. And, I, and I've always wanted to make it clear that that doesn't mean that Unison is going to share the same thoughts, beliefs, and theologies with the people that we fellowship with. That doesn't mean that. We will do some things together with folks who we have a lot of shared theology, right? We did the joint service with City Life and the Edge. We got a lot of shared theology. When one of them preaches, nobody, no pastors in the back like, oh, what are they about to say? <laughs> But then there are some churches where we may not do a shared service, but we can clean up a park together in the name of Jesus, right? We can wash some cars together in the name of Jesus. We may not be able to do a joint worship service. We may not do no praise and prayer night together. But that doesn't mean that we can't fast together. That doesn't mean that we can't pray together. And I want us to see that as a way in which Scripture calls us to navigate when there are some theological differences. Not that we just embrace all things, but that we intentionally seek fellowship and trust the Holy Spirit with the rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are here. You have sent your spirit. And this even a unique day where we remember the sending of your spirit, the pouring out of your spirit as you promised. We thank you that your Holy Spirit empowers us but also convicts us to unity, teaches us, guides us, 
corrects us. But calls us into these spaces, God, where we represent you well. We become the representation of your son here in this earth. And so, God, we know you are here with us. May our hearts be aligned with where you are. May our hearts be aligned with what's going on in your kingdom. We will join and echo the words of Christ. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and believe others could benefit from hearing about us, please remember to share and subscribe to Unison Christian Church wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also catch us live at unisongr.com or on Facebook. See you next week.